Welcome to the Cyber Guy Podcast, your source for engaging cyber education, cyber discussions, and a look at current cyber news and trends with retired FBI Special Agent Darren Mott. Good morning, afternoon, evening, friends, whatever time you are listening to the Cyber Guy Podcast. I am Darren Mott, and this episode uh, is going to start the first of several that I recorded during the National Cyber Summit 2022 here in Huntsville, Alabama. It occurred this week on September 21st and 22nd. Talked to a lot of good people, a lot of people for the second time. So you'll be hearing in the same voices a couple times uh, on a, a variety of different topics. Um, some of the folks uh, were talking about what their business does, what their company does, and that's why I was there to help them say, hey, here's, here's how we deal with our issue within the cybersecurity community. Here's why our stuff is helpful. And so I hope you find value in it. It, it, it. There's a lot of good information about a lot of different products in a lot of different areas that people just don't generally think about. Some of these episodes will be a far more technically oriented than I'm normally used to doing, but that's okay because sometimes you got to kind of hear from the experts on what's going on, especially this episode. So this first one, we're going to talk about the cybersecurity maturity model certification with two gentlemen, Daniel Cirletti and Carter Schoenberg. Uh, they're from two different companies. I'll let them introduce, or I'll introduce them during the um, when I do the uh, interview portion of that. But their their companies both deal with are, are working towards helping companies become CMMC. Uh, compliant now, uh, and they do some certifications, they do assessments, they do stuff like that, and I'll kind of talk about that. But why CMMC is important because within the Department of Defense, um, one of the things obviously you have to worry about from a national security perspective is the loss of data to our adversaries, particularly China, obviously, is going to always be the key adversary you're concerned about. And so the DOD uh, in recent years has come up with this security, or I'm sorry, cybersecurity maturity model certification, which is a requirement for all government, all 300,000 government contractors ultimately by 2026 or so. Uh, and so there's a lot of differing information around CMMC. It's largely what is called NIST 800-171. It's a version of that, but it requires it requires contractors to do certain things to be eligible to work on contracts because DOD recognizes that we need to secure our information so that our adversaries don't steal it. So you'll hear from both of those gentlemen. You'll get their take on CMMC. But before we get there, I do want to talk a couple news items, at least one news item. And this kind of came across the wire um, a little bit ago, earlier in the month. Uh, and it's from threatpost.com. This is uh, Nate Nelson reporting. And because of the whole recent news with uh, President Biden looking to forgive student loan repayment for college students. This one was particularly interesting to me. And the title of the article is student loan breach exposes 2.5 million records. Heck, heaven forbid. So here's from the article. Uh, Ed Financial and the Oklahoma Student Loan Authority are notifying over 2.5 million loanees that their personal data was exposed in a data breach. The target of the breach was Telnet Servicing, a Lincoln, Nebraska-based servicing system and web portal provider for both uh, the Oklahoma Student Loan Authority and Ed Financial. So again, here we have an issue where a third party lost data of someone else. So I point out this particular um, article just to, again, re remind everyone that, you know, a lot of companies, obviously, if, you own, if you're a company owner, you're going to look for third party entities to help you with your cybersecurity needs. The one thing you have to 
be aware of, and I say this a lot, I'm going to say it again, is you cannot rely on them 100% to reduce or eliminate your cyber risk. You need to work with them to make sure that they have the correct policies in place, the correct training in place to make sure that folks, um, you know, are aware of how to protect your data. Now, the problem with this, uh, with, with this, as many data breaches, here's from the article, it's unclear what the vulnerability was that led them to get in. So again, we don't know how they got in, which would be valuable to know at some point how these bad guys got into the system so that other entities, especially other loan servicing entities, can protect their data because chances are they're usually similar type um architecture. So again, more more bad news of data breaches, stealing all sorts of stuff all over the place. So here is another article, uh, the tentacles of octopus threat group victimize 130 firms. Again, Nate Nelson, again, Nate Nelson busy this month. So targeted attacks on Twilio and, or Twilio, Twilio, sorry, and Cloudflare employees are tied to a massive phishing campaign that resulted in Get this, 9,931 accounts at over 130 organizations being compromised. The campaigns are tied to focused abuse of identity and access management firm Okta, which gained the threat actors the octopus moniker by researchers. Now, again, here we are again with social engineering attacks or phishing attacks being used and being successful to getting into to corporate networks. So, again, a lot of this comes down to how do we train you know, how do we train everyone to, to, to understand the threats that are targeting them so they can assess their risk and they proceed wisely? Yet, somehow I feel like I am repeating myself. So those are just a couple of news articles. Again, the badness continues on and continues on and continues on. So again, I'm sure next week as I put together um, week two of the interviews from the National Cyber Summit, we'll have new news that is equally as terrible and horrible and confusing. So the beat goes on. But it doesn't mean that we are at a loss for it. I'm actually looking to build a couple things out um, to help protect folks online. The first one is going to be uh, how to protect your kids online for parents and mothers. So if you have any thoughts on that, let me know if you'd like to beta test it. In other words, I will give it to you for free. Uh, and you can tell me what's good, bad, or otherwise about it. Send me an email, Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N, at thecyberguy.com. Cyber spelled C-Y-B-U-R. So let's get to our two interviews uh, from, our two first interviews from the National Cyber Summit in Huntsville uh, this this past week. Here we go. So I want to welcome to the booth Daniel, or Dan Serletti of Boston Government Services. He is the Program Director for Research and Development. Dan, thanks so much for stopping by. Oh, happy to stop by. And you also said you were, you were the, one of my three listeners, so I appreciate that. <laughs> thanks so much. So talk about a little bit of what Boston Government Services do, does. What, do you, what is your role in the cybersecurity world? Okay, uh, Boston Government Services is a uh, company uh, that provides services to the um, federal government and uh, contractors to the federal government. Uh, we've done a lot with uh, the U.S. Department of Energy. Um, uh, pretty much all of the branches of DOE, including the NNSA, uh, the National Laboratories, and um, environmental uh, cleanup facilities. And so we do the cybersecurity for them, including um, ATO packages, uh, writing their cybersecurity plans, uh, and uh, also um, you know, providing uh, a cybersecurity organization for companies as well. 
So you're like, are you a managed, are you considered a managed service provider or is it a little different than that sort of? It's, it's a little bit different than that. Uh, we, we just consider ourselves providing services. Um, it's, it's not, um, it, it, it's more like if, if we go in, uh, we either do a task or we um, provide a larger um, capability uh, in-house, not uh, like an MSP, which is external. So you become more like an extension of their cybersecurity team, which yes. probably when you came in, it was one person who had to do everything. So now at least he's got some backup. So you're kind of the cavalry coming in and, and right. becoming the cybersecurity team. Yes. So, what, so tell us a little bit. You mentioned that you are that Boston Government Services is one of the one of the first C3POs. Is that correct for yes. CMMC? So so talk a little bit about CMMC and and what a C3PO AO does for that. Okay. Uh, so CMMC is. Uh, the um, certification called uh, the DOD Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. Uh, it's based on NIST uh, SP 800-171, and uh, we were the fourth company in the country to um, be approved by DIBCAC to be an authorized C3PAO, which is a CMMC third-party assessment organization. Uh, what we had to do was uh, create a um, um, an enclave uh, within our own organization that we would use for CMMC assessments. And then uh, DIBCAC came in and made sure that we met all the requirements for CMMC. Uh, when we did it, it was actually CMMC version 1.0, mm -hmm. uh, which had 20 additional practices. So you became, you did le at level three for you guys. Then. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so um, I, I like to think of it as, you know, not only did we, uh, uh, you know, you know, go over the bar. We did it like a foot beyond. Right. Sure. Sure. So, um, so, how do you get around? Wasn't there a requirement within the CMMC accreditation board that if you were a C3PAO, you couldn't provide services? Correct. So, so you just can't certify the companies that you assist. Is that how that works? Correct. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah. So, if 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 we do um, like registered provider organization type work, which is just consulting to prepare somebody for uh, CMMC uh, assessment, then we can't do the assessment for them. I gotcha, I gotcha, I gotcha. How, um, so where do you think it's going? Because obviously we're now at version 2.0. Mm -hmm. um, it's still not finalized. Do you think it's going to get finalized? What's your, so I had another lady sitting here earlier. We didn't, we didn't get on the mic. She was just talking, but she had mentioned that she doesn't think it's going to ever get official. Where do, where, what's your stance on that? Um, I, I would say that, you know, there, there's a lot of people that are going through like the five stages of grief. Uh, <laughs> that's, and, a good, uh, that's a great way to put it. And, yes. And, and so um, where are we at? So um, one of them is denial. Yes. We're still there. Um, and there are people still in denial. But what we're finding is there are a lot of people that have gotten past denial. And so they realize this is coming. Um, the difference between CMMC and what was required prior to CMMC uh, is only a certification. Um, since 2006 or so, DFARS uh, 7012 has been in effect. Right. It's been in their contracts, and it states that they must meet NIST 800-171. Wow, but, but you know that they do a poem and say, well, okay, we don't have multi-factor authentication, but we plan by 2027 that so, we will have that going. Yeah, so um, <laughs> there is uh, more meat in right. CMMC sure. in terms of you know, when we come in and do an assessment, we will um, find those areas. Um, some things can still be a POAM in 
an assessment finding. Okay. Um, uh, most of the, uh, like, if you look at the, the SPURS worksheet, um, you got the ones, threes, and fives uh, in terms of scoring. Um, the fives, no, you can't, you can't do a, a poem on those. Um, there is some capability about uh, FIPS 140-2 um, that could be a poem, but that's the only one. Um, there, there are some threes, and then the ones can be uh, poems. Then you have to meet, I think it's uh, 85% of your practices. Okay. Uh, otherwise, you can't, you know, you fail. So it's no longer the, wasn't under version one, it was 100% compliance? Did it, 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 so it, they've, they've re- redacted that down to 85 at least now, so to make it a little more reasonable for folks? Yes. Uh, version one was a uh, purely pass-fail. Right. Which was pretty draconian, really. <laughs> That's I mean, for it, sure. It, yeah. it, you know, it, it's pretty tough. You still have to be ready for it. Um, and... You know, a lot of people are still waiting, and right. it depends on, on the contracts that you have and when they come due or the contracts that you want to go for. Um, but let's say if you want to go for one in 2024, mm-hmm. you should be getting ready for CMMC now. Right. Do you find that, what do you find, the, and you know, obviously dime may buy out, but when you do an assessment for a company that this is their first run down the CMMC road, or at least the, free, the CMMC pre-assessment road, what do you find in the average compliance rate is for the 110 practices? Um, they're a spur score of um, 30 and below. Really? So they're, yeah, so 70% you know, is just not there, yeah. Down to the negatives. Um, some, you know, usually larger companies that have a real IT organization and cyber organization sure. are much closer. Um, the the hardest part is is all the small businesses, right? And really, and then the large ones they're the they're the minority of all of this. So it's going to be Correct. easier for Boeing and Lockheed because they have dozens of people doing all this stuff all day mm-hmm. long. But yeah. you know, what's the percentages of the th- what's the percentage of the three hundred thousand cleared defense contractors that are that are a hundred people or less? Well, it's 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 eighty thousand that will require a level two certification. Oh, okay, and I think it's about a thousand. Uh, well, it's about eighty thousand that will require a level two. Um, it's probably about a thousand that are the large companies. Right. The Seventy thousand is the small to medium. So how many are going to require level three? Um, Which is a slightly, obviously, more complicated version, but it's it's somewhere under a thousand. Okay. Um, now the thing about level three is that uh, to get a level three certification, uh, first you have to attain a level two certification. Right. By a, by a uh, authorized C3PIO. Yeah. At that point, you schedule a um, um, an assessment by uh, DIBCAC, and then DIBCAC comes in and does the level three uh, assessment. Okay. And that's based on NIST 800-172. Right. How many extra practices does that throw into the mix? It's like um, 30 or so. Okay, so it's not but, tremendously. But they have not determined yet or defined what portions of 172 will be in effect. Gotcha. It may be a subset of 172. So for the 80,000 that don't require level two, the 220,000, they just need level one with the 17 practices. That's the only thing they need to do. Right. And they can self attest to that. Okay. And they're the ones that don't maintain the classified or the controlled unclassified. That's what designates them as level one. Correct. All they, all they have is uh, FCI. Um, FCI. Okay. Well, I guess that's not too yeah. unmanageable. Now, there are some companies that um, are still contacting us uh, to help with Level 1 purely because of the fact that they don't have the talent in-house. 
Right. Yeah. Sure. Uh, sure. If 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 your job is to make widgets, you're not a cybersecurity person. Right. And if you have to sign on the dotted line and you know and self-attest that you meet those requirements, and you have no idea what they really are, um, you know some people view it, uh, you know, getting a um, an RPO in. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a C3PO is probably a, a bit of an overkill, but you know we, sure. we can do it. Um, but to make sure that they're meeting those. Uh, now, personally, I think it's also important uh, for RPOs. If they're doing that type of work, there are some easy items beyond the 17 mm-hmm. that dramatically increase a small company's cybersecurity. Right. And they really should. Right. And that's a, that know. was going to be my question, actually, that you're reading my mind is, okay, if you only need 17, that that's probably not the best cybersecurity posture to put yourself into. If you don't have to do all 110 under level two, but you should still look like it. It would be good for someone to say, and I think some people have to, these are the top 30 of the of the controls under 171. These 30, you really should do these at least. Yeah. And it seems that the folks that are level one, that don't need to be level two, it would probably behoove them to get level two because that means they have much more, much better controls in place. But they may not necessarily be able, but they need to do at least the 30 because there's other cyber risk beyond just the nation state folks that, you know, CMMC kind of is really ticked about with China and stuff Cor- and, and all that. But. Co- correct. Um, the, the the big thing that people have to understand is NIST 800-171 is to protect information, the controlled and classified right. information. government information, yeah. Um, so it, it really doesn't address integrity and availability right. and resiliency. Um, and if you notice, my last name, Sir Letty, is spelled with CIA. CIA, yes. You got the CIA uh, triad in and, there. Very and, nice. And R for resilience. <laughs> Excellent. And, and so there are other things that are relatively easy to do mm-hmm. that can help people beyond 171. It's not that we grade them on it right. know, or anything like that. But we do a disservice as an RPO if we don't help them understand a little bit about that um, and you know it, I mean it's it's a way to help a company maybe you know at a, at a very low cost or, or if you just have a, a standard you know few pages of information for them to say and these are other things you should be doing um, that'll that'll help a company well let me ask you this question so going outside the dib space so I mean obviously there's millions of other small companies that need to protect themselves from cyber risk because it's hitting them all. Correct. So, but NIST, you know, NIST 800-171 is largely for government serve government information. And you have, you can look at NIST 853, but that's freaking tedious. So are there other compliance standards that are better for the non-governmental DIB group? I guess like, you know, obviously healthcare has HIPAA and if you're financial, you got PCI mm-hmm. and that stuff. But let's say you're just, uh, you know, a furniture manufacturer, but you manufacture billions of dollars worth of furniture a year. You still want to protect your intellectual property, you want to protect your data, you want to protect your customer's data. Is there a better compliance standard to use or an easier one, let me say that, easier one to use than the NIST stuff? Um, there's others out there. Right. Um, but you, NIST, the one thing about it is, is especially with CMMC, um, the amount of documentation that will be coming out and the help uh, for 171 uh, will be very, very big. Um, I'm, I'm, so one of the things I've done 
uh, since CMMC started. Uh, I, I've been involved in working groups for CMMC. I was on the CMMC uh, um, um, accreditation body's uh, standards working group for about a year and a half uh, since it started. And then um, once CMMC AB uh, quit having uh, a working group of its own, uh, we split off into a separate working group in support of the AB, but not part of the AB. Hmm. And it's called the uh, CMMC Industry Standards Council. And so we're working on creating additional information that will help um, companies, RPOs, and C3PS have a consistent message. One of the biggest things and the biggest dangers we have when we're trying to make sure that this doesn't happen is if you're assessed by three different assessors, you should have the same assessment. Right. Okay? Yep. If if you have um, a RPO come in and help you, you may have different ways of solving the problem, but each one of them should be a method that allows you to be assessed and with those assessors all coming to the same conclusion, whether you meet or don't meet something. Wow, that's, and, yeah. And so the, the CISC um, is, is working to try and uh, enable that. So what got you into the assessing world? I mean, what, what brought you to this, this field of cybersecurity where you're doing assessments? I've, I've talked to, there was one, a guy I used to work with, and he said, look, by the time, you know, you should do all these things, but you ultimately want to get to assessing because then you kind of have to take all of the cybersecurity stuff into one, and it provides a, a, and it does, assessments probably provide the most valued service simply because it gives you a starting point as a company to know, here's where we're miss here's what we're missing, here's our gaps, yet no one, I mean, it's like pulling teeth to get folks to do it. I mean, if assessing was so easy and so and the people understood it to be so meaningful, you wouldn't need CMMC because people would just do it on their own, but clearly they're not. So what, what got you down the road to, to do and all this? So I've had a very uh, interesting career. I, um, I worked for uh, Department of Energy National Laboratories for 30 years. Okay. Um, I helped build multi-billion dollar uh, scientific facilities uh, and I was the IT manager uh, for uh, most of them or all of them. And so, you know, I've done everything from uh, particle accelerators to fusion reactors to um, supercomputer development. And uh, so, in that role, you know, being an IT manager, I've always had to deal with cybersecurity I, before even the NIST standards came out. Right. Um, and so, I was always on the customer side of it uh, and, and the research side of it. And so... Uh, when I when I decided to retire, um, I uh, called up my friend Bridget and said, "Hey, Bridget, I'm ready to come work for you." And uh, that was at Boston Government Services. Okay. And uh, so uh, I got my start in uh, in cybersecurity there officially. Right, on, right, right. On, uh, more on the on, a, on the subject matter expert side, not the customer side. Gotcha. And so I've seen everything from huge data centers to industrial control systems uh, to um, you know, supercomputers um, and all require cybersecurity. Right. And that allows me to bring that into BGS's uh, what we call the uh, Cyber and Technology Solutions Business Unit. Okay, so what is BGS? How do you find BGS? If, you're, if you need pre-assessment for CMMC or you just need some help with your cybersecurity? Where's BGS? How do you find it? Uh, you go to uh, uh, www.bgs-llc.com 
and uh, or you can just email cmmc at bgs-llc.com. Oh, very nice. All right, Dan, thanks so much for stopping by and, and taking some time to talk. I appreciate it. Oh, this was great. This Thank is the best, best CMMC conversation I've had yet. All right. Thanks so much. Well, I want to welcome now Carter Schoenberg from Soundway Consulting to the podcast. Carter, thanks so much for stopping by. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So tell us about what does Soundway Consulting do? Yep. So Soundway Consulting, we're a technology management consulting firm, small government contractor, uh, mostly focused on mission support, IT, and cybersecurity. For about a year and a half, we've been focusing on a B2B service offering for the B2G market space, specifically helping government contractors prepare for the cybersecurity maturity model certification obligations. Okay. And uh, if all goes to plan, then next week we are a fully approved C3PAO ourselves. Uh, we will also be announcing a battery of different training solutions that are designed for the government's acquisition workforce, attorneys that specialize in government contracting, and um, training for prime contractors to actually be able to vet their subs. So I just spoke with a guy uh, on um, CMMC. Where do you? So obviously, if you're getting a C3PL, you must be fully. You're in the you're in the mode that you you know it's coming or think it's coming at least because I, I, there's other people that he made a good point that a lot of people are in the five stages of denial or five stages of grief and they're still in denial. So where do you stand on all that? Yeah. So we are seeing um, a unique condition that is going to have a significant impact on the government contracting space in the next 18 to 24 months. As a result of the fact that you, what the other gentleman said is factually correct, we're gonna to continue to kick the can until we actually see it in contract language. Keeping in mind, the government originally anticipated that the next ruling would happen in May. They now are saying it's in March. And anybody that knows anything about the US government Moving to the left, that should be telegraphing, guys, this train is already left, you better get on board. Now the problem that we see with this is, if an organization waits until they see it in let's say RFIs, which we anticipate will come out in April of next year. Okay. Uh, usually when an RFI comes out, there's a six to 12 month window between an RFI and an RFP. Um, unfortunately, if you are just now getting started in May of next year, um, you, you're going to be looking at around April of the following year before you're going to be able to be certified. We estimate that between October of 2023 and April of 2024, the number of solicitations that will be out that have the CMMC level two obligations will impact approximately 7,000 government contractors. And then those would be the, they'll be primes, but will, will it funnel down to their, so I assume it's funnels yes, to their subs as well, absolutely. right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. usually the, the government has a rule of thumb for every solicitation that goes out. By default, you're looking at 10 companies that okay. it has an impact on. And so when a prime is getting ready to get their contract, they're, they're responding to an RFI or an RFP, mm -hmm. do they know who their subcontracts are going to be? So they know, so those companies know, oh crap, that contract that I'm a sub, I know I'm a sub on is going to be CMMC compliant. So do they know that going in? So at the RFI stage, I would say that is when the prime contractor is doing their due diligence to be able to better understand who needs to be on our team, mm -hmm. whether it is a minority-owned 8A, are there certain boxes that have to be checked, either based on socioeconomic designations for a small business credit or unique specialization that the sub is bringing to the table for them. The challenge that we see with this is 
solicitations will certainly be coming out where certain swim lanes could have a level two obligation and certain swim lanes could easily have a level one obligation. But in the mad rush, we're saying, okay, we want to go bid on this. If the prime doesn't really understand who's on their team, what are they going to be responsible for and who needs to be already certified? Because that's one of the biggest differences between CMMC 1.0 and 2.0. Under 1.0, the belief was you don't need it at time of submission. You need it at time of award. Right. And with respect to the people that made those statements chronologically, that's not physically possible. But now their government is saying you have to be already certified at the appropriate level when you're submitting a package. Okay. So... Um well, let me ask this question. This is a question I don't think I've seen answered. And I'm not sure if maybe anybody knows, but when you have to get that level two certification, what's the cost going to be for a company, roughly, if you had to guess? Because you're going to be the one charging it, so I guess. Is, it, is that a standard cost across? So if I go to you or I go to somebody else or I go to the third party, the cost is the same? Is that standardized by the AB? Be, it's probably going to be pretty consistent. I would say um, the challenge is not going to be, am I able to shop it and get the best price? The challenge is going to be, Am I able to shop it and have a contract in hand with the C3PAO mm. to successfully execute prior to the due date of me submitting my proposal? Okay. Uh, we definitely anticipate with what we're currently seeing by industry, I would much liken it to a New York subway platform where you have a thousand people all trying to get into the same subway car at the same time. As it stands right now, I believe there's only 23 C3PAOs. And if you divide that by roughly, as I stated before, between five and 7,000 companies that are going to be impacted by this, kicking the can is not helping them in any way, shape, no. or fashion. And how's, how long is that C3PAO process? Like from, from start to finish to get the certification, what's the length of time for that sure. assessment? Sure, it's a great question. So providing that the organization has all of its ducks in a row and is going to be in a position to be able to satisfactorily meet the obligations. Chronologically speaking, from the time that you start the actual data collection to the time that you get the final letter saying, hey, you're fully approved, you're probably looking between three and a half to four week, four weeks. Okay, and so you're. I assume you're doing pre-certification assessments for your clients now, correct? Right. And, and yes. what are they? What are they finding from a result perspective? Like, so they've got to do. They've got 110 practices. They got to be compliant with, or whatever the. What's the percentage for straight compliance? 85. So you have to be at a minimum 88 of the 110. Okay. Have to be met. Now, keeping in mind, of that remaining 22. Sorry. Yeah, of the remaining 22, if any of those are of, of a certain designation by the government that they cannot have a plan of action, a milestone, right. you're done. You're, yeah. So what are you finding? So for the companies you're doing the pre-assessment for, what is their... I mean, what's their average compliance stand? Like, what are, out of the 110, how are they doing? Uh, on, on So the SPUR score is going up to as high as 110 and can be as low as negative 200 something. Okay. Uh, How do you get negative? Let me ask that question before you get to that answer. Yeah, because what basically the way that the scoring algorithm that was designed by the government is you start at the highest and for each thing you're not doing, you're deducting points. Okay. And each control is weighted differently. Oh, gotcha, okay, so. So some are weighted at five, some are weighted at three, some are rated at one. If you have a control that the government says is weighted at five, 
you cannot have a poem for that. Uh-huh. But I would say to answer your question, statistically what we are finding is a spur score, an accurate spur score that is ranging between 20 and 65. Wow. So that's so this is a, this is a silly question on my part. You probably don't know the answer. I'm going to ask it because it just it it's the government. CMMC version one had levels one, two, three, four, five. But yep. they knew that one, three, and five were the only levels you're going to be. Two and four got you to three or five. And then now they're down to one, two, three. But for the Spurs score, there's levels one, three, and five. For the, why don't they just do one, two, and three? What is, why is one, three, five? What is, the, is there a purpose of that? So, again, mm-hmm. so with regards to the five, the five didn't have anything to do with CMMC 1.0. Right. No, I know. I know that. I know. I understand that. But I'm just saying, why, why do it that? I don't. Why? Why does it have to be one three five? Why? Is, what's one two three? What's or um, so one five ten? What's? I don't get what the designation of the one three. And, and again, this is just a. These silly thoughts go through my head. It's, I figure, so, so basically, <laughs> with the spur score, if you have a five, it's not met. Uh, three is supposedly. Um, you're really far off from being partially met. Yeah. One is you're pretty close at partially met to being met, and then if you have a zero, no points are being deducted. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, however, when the government is coming out and doing an evaluation, there is no partially met. Yeah, it's yeah, either okay. it's five or it's zero. Okay. Yeah, now, I got with you. regards to the, you know, why the change from you know five levels to three levels. And, and I joke around about this. Historically speaking, you have government, um, academia, and some Beltway bandits putting together a program and yeah. expecting a different result. Right. And I think that they received a lot of pushback, um, especially when the interim rules came out. Industry kind of freaked out. Government capitulated because there was a staring contest, and unfortunately, the government blinked. However, what is important for everybody to also understand is the fact, be careful what you ask for. Because back in the days of CMMC 1.0, under Katie Arrington, they estimated 10% of the total population would need to have these enhanced assessments. Mm-hmm. That's roughly 30,000 companies. Right. The Department of Defense is now advising, okay, we gave you your option at level one to go ahead and self-assess. But make no mistake, we anticipate more L2s are coming out, and they now estimate over 80,000 companies are mm-hmm. now going to have to be independently assessed. So what is your recommendation to your clients that they, when they get certified, um, how do they stay in compliance? So now, so now it's a triennial certification. So theoretically you could say, okay, I'm good for three years. I don't have to worry about this again until 2027. So how do you, how do how are you advising them to not be that person that you six months from your triennial certification, you're, you're scrambling to say, Oh crap, we didn't do any of these things. Yeah. So, one of these courses that we design, which is actually for uh, designed by an attorney for attorneys that specialize in government contracting and cyber, he gave us a great idea. You know, this whole notion of CMMC is about cybersecurity. Right. He, and to his point, he said, you know, people are tired of hearing about cyber. CMMC is not really about cyber. It's about basically um, a, a contract liability clause. So from that perspective, a breach of contract to your question of how do you socialize, yet you did this now, you don't really have to do anything for three years, is really kind of pivot the techno jargon into a business narrative that says, this is now a business risk. It is no mm-hmm. different than fire, theft, flood. If you look at this as a continued IT issue rather than a business issue, you're probably not going to be successful. 
because contracts are usually a base plus three, base plus four, meaning the option years. But to your point, if you only qualify for a three-year period of time, it creates a conundrum twofold. One, is the prime keeping up with the subs cadence? Right. And does the government COTAR fully understand, all right, uh, you're good through option year two, but two of your subs are coming due. Mm -hmm. How are you going to address that in time? Right. So we see that as a... On the operation side, some of these what we call shadow risks that are not really being talked about are probably going to be the most poignant issues. What got you down this road into cybersecurity in general? What's what's your kind of your career arc, real, yeah. real quick? So most people get into cyber one of two ways: either from a background in IT or coming from the military. Uh, I left a career actually as a homicide detective mm. and cut over and used those investigative skill sets to work with a company. Um, it's no longer around. It's, it was bought out by IBM and it was called Internet Security Systems. And I was exceptionally fortunate enough to be exposed to arguably some of the best and the brightest that the industry had to offer globally. And the reason why I was interested in going into cyber is people that were responsible for doing multiple kilo deals in the 1990s, keeping in mind that in the US out of every 20 homicides, 18 somehow, some way is narcotic related, one's domestic violence, one is wrong person, wrong place, wrong time. But the drug dealers understood, especially the, the big guys, they understood that they can make just as much money, if not more, doing cyber-related crimes, and the laws had not successfully evolved to prosecute. So it was a little bit of a green space that I was a little bit more interested in. Cool. So how do, comp- how do uh, folks find Soundway Consulting? What's your, what's your website and such like that? No, so it's very straightforward, Soundway, W-A-Y, consulting.com. Uh, on our site, we have a lot of great information. A lot of it is freeware that includes everything from personnel cybersecurity rubrics to how do you go about making a determination if you need to be at level one, level two, or especially here in Huntsville, being at level three, which is also an interesting side note. If you're going to be dealing with space application, more likely than not, you're going to be targeted for having to be required for a level three certification. Right, and and so you're you guys are located in Maryland, but I assume you go everywhere, correct? Yep. So uh, locations are currently in Maryland, um, fair, uh, pardon me, in Virginia. We have also an office in Florida. We are exploring options here in Huntsville, but yes, we've supported clients on the east coast we have a client right now that we're supporting in california so wherever the work takes us all right well thanks so much for coming on good luck with the conference and uh <laughs> enjoy enjoy thank huntsville have some good much. barbecue thanks all right bye-bye so i want to thank dan and carter for stopping by my booth at the national cyber summit to talk about cmmc you're gonna if you are in the defense industry you're gonna hear a lot more about cmmc as we roll forward and one thing I really should have noted with them, and I apologize that I didn't think about that, but there are companies beyond just within the DIB community, the defense industrial base, can benefit from what CMMC provides from a protection of data perspective. Now, it's not an end-all be-all, but it's a good starting place that if you don't have a general compliance standard anyway, for example, if you're in healthcare, you have HIPAA compliance requirements. If you're in finance, you have PCI requirements. But if you're just a, you know, mom and shop hardware store, or you're, you sell stuff online, or you're, you know, a 20 person company that sells a widget that really not have anything to do with national security, people still want to steal your stuff. 
Everybody, as I've always said, everybody has something somebody wants. So the best thing to do is take ways to to minimize your cyber risk by looking at your network infrastructure, your hardware, your software, and coming up with a way to say, okay, am I doing well in this particular area and access control? Do I have multi-factor authentication? And NIST 800-171 is a good place to start. Now, you don't have to, there's 110 controls that you kind of have to look at to protect yourself. And it's based off of a larger NIST document called 853, which is a whole bunch more, which I'll be honest with you, if you're a small company or medium-sized company, you can't necessarily do all of the, you should, but it's hard to do. However, you know, figure out what the top 20 or 30 controls are. And you can actually look that up. Top 20 cyber controls I should worry about. And you can, you can create an assessment and do that and figure out, okay, because if you're not doing those 20, you're probably not doing the rest, but at least it gives you a starting place. And I will say this, if, if, if you need help with it, give me a call, send me an email. I have a way to kind of start you down that road. And if you say you heard about this on the Cyber Guy podcast, I will do it at a reduced rate, if not free altogether. So hit me up with that. Um, also, I'm looking to uh, create some some stuff to protect kids online, to do some other stuff if you like to beta test that, uh, or anything along the lines I've talked about now or in the past. Feel free to hit me up, Darren, at thecyberguy.com. Cyber spelled C-Y-B-U-R. And as always, I want to thank you for taking the time to download, listen, and pass along the information provided here on this podcast and the Get Cyber Smart podcast. Uh, as always, if you have questions, send me an email. You can follow me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash IN slash Darren Mott. You should go through your week and understand that knowledge is protection. If you understand the threats that are targeting you, you can uh, assess your cyber risk and then proceed wisely online as a citizen of the cyber world. Thanks so much for listening. Tell a friend. We will talk to you again soon.